can be dismissed now. Got all caught up in the excitement. Our scripture reading is taken from the book of Matthew, 28th chapter, starting in the first verse. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Any of us who've been uh, part of a church for any period of time or around uh, religious uh, Christian circles, uh, we notice something that happens at Easter time that shouldn't happen. So those of you who do this, I'm scolding you. And uh, it happens at Christmas time as well, and it shouldn't happen then either. So here's what it is. And I, I, I uh, identify this also as a welcome to anybody who's here, who is here because it's Easter. Particularly if there are any of you, I'm trying not to look at anybody in particular because I don't know. Particularly if there are any of you who are here who are here just for somebody else. Like, I guess we better go today, right? But we'll say to you from our church here, we're glad that you're here. Uh, We really appreciate you uh, being part of, of this celebration. And we hope that you're blessed for being here. So the thing that can happen at Easter and at Christmas that shouldn't happen is that this is a religious impulse. Christian people, I would assume this is the same in other religions as well at their significant times, but I'm Christian, so for me I notice it at Christmas and Easter. Some people can get upset at Christmas and Easter time because the rest of the world doesn't seem to get it. And so you hear from sometimes ministers and leaders, you know, but you know, for most people. And I was praying about that recently and something came into my mind and it was an image of Jesus Christ just going to the cross. And I thought to myself, what would it have been like if he had been disappointed and upset at the world that they didn't get it? He went to the cross out of his love for all of us, every single one of us. He didn't shake his head in disappointment. So let that be kind of a gift or an invitation to you or a scolding, wherever you are on the issue. Don't get upset at Christmas and Easter if the rest of the world doesn't understand. That's not what our faith is in. 
Our faith is in Jesus Christ who was born at Christmas and gave his life and raised from the dead at Easter time. And whether other people get it or not doesn't change that fact. And so we celebrate. Then, with that kind of spirit, you can enjoy kind of the human foibles and circumstances. So Ken Bell sent me a picture of an ad in England. There's a grocery store. I guess it's around England. I've seen it in London before called Tesco, kind of a convenience grocery store. And they took an ad out on Good Friday, and that's it. Isn't that wonderful? Great offers on beer and cider. Good Friday just got better. Now, a couple of things happened after they took this ad out. They had to apologize. They don't need to apologize. They're not in the Jesus business. They're in the beer and cider business. I didn't think Tesco was in the Jesus business. In fact, it kind of made me want a beer or a cider. And say, yep, maybe it just got better. Um, often the world doesn't get it, but the truth is we don't get it either, right? This is the greatest mystery of our faith, that Jesus Christ giving his life on Good Friday, that the Father turned away from him, and that all of history is defined by this sacrifice and resurrection. And so this morning we're going to briefly, and if you are visiting among us, you're like, wow, this is there's still a sermon? Yeah, but don't worry, it's not too long today. You can't say much at Easter time. Have you been to those services where the pastor tries to explain everything at Easter or Christmas? Let me give you seven reasons why this is true. And it's kind of a lecture teaching type thing. And it's just, it doesn't feel right often. Or maybe you love that. But you're not going to get it this morning. Because at Easter time particularly, I think Christmas is probably the same. Which is interesting because people who do visit on Easter, then you don't get really what like the, the services are always like. We don't do a flower cross every week. But... Really, all you can do at Easter time is the energy of Easter. And for those of us who are part of this Christian faith, this day defines everything. And so, really, we can't explain it. We know that it's a leap of faith. We know that we're putting our trust in something that can't be explained. And so we carry this energy on a day like today where it's just, and this, and this, and this, and this. And we can't finish one sentence before we feel like the next. It's just the greatest news of all time. And the gospel accounts have kind of this energy to them. Each gospel account, the four gospels, each one is different. And so you get different emphasis, different facts even told. Sometimes Mary Magdalene and other women are there. Sometimes Mary and one other woman at the tomb. Sometimes in in one telling, disciples are there at the empty tomb. In one telling, they're greeted by an angel, like this one we're looking at from Matthew. In another, by someone who appears to be a gardener, turns out to be Jesus himself. All of these differences in the different accounts. And what would you do with that? If you're a skeptic, you would say, well, obviously it can't be true because even in the Bible they don't have the same story. But of course, we know, and you've heard this from those sermons that try to prove Jesus. It's hard to prove faith. But we do know that it is the case that one of the ways you measure whether people's accounts are true or not of a given circumstance or incident or event is if the stories match up exactly perfectly, then you know they're lying. And these accounts were not written down. They weren't, people didn't get them like we do, you know, on our, they didn't have their smartphones to read the Gospels on. They were passed down orally by speaking. And so, are you ready to just be, you know, offended or moved or whatever? 
So we don't really know exactly which one have, has all the incidents correct. I, I hope you accept that because they are different in all the foretellings. And there is in Scripture a refusal to suppress the differences, which is a mark of faith. It actually lends credibility. So here in Matthew, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to see the tomb early to see if they can, uh, well, they've prepared spices for Jesus' body. And then Matthew tells us there's an earthquake. Just this little aside. Right? So quickly. They go to the tomb and there's an earthquake. Well, at first it says an angel comes down from heaven and rolls away the stone and then there's an earthquake. Those are pretty significant details, I would imagine. But they're not in the other tellings. So I would ask you, dear Christian friend who's put your faith in Jesus Christ, was there an earthquake or not? You don't know. Maybe it just wasn't mentioned by the others, but there definitely was, because Matthew says there was. Well, in this account, there's an earthquake. And an angel rolls away the stone, and then my favorite part of Matthew's telling, an angel rolls away the stone and then sits on top of that rock. I picture the angel just dangling their angel feet and legs. The chief concern of those who are telling this story is not those details. Those details aren't the primary matter. What's the chief concern? He is risen. An earthquake because the angel descends from heaven and rolls back the stone and sits upon it. You consider it, it's powerful and wonderful. A pastor telling a children's story one Easter told you this before, but it sticks in my head each year. This story has such power to it. There's an earthquake and this angel appears who looks angelic and powerful. There's awe and wonder, but it's childlike as well. There's some kind of innocence in this telling. A pastor was telling the story of the resurrection in a children's story at the front of a church one Sunday. The commentary that I was reading this week for this the, the, the gentleman who wrote the commentary, this pastor, was a friend of his. So all the kids were gathered around and this minister was telling the kids what had happened on Easter Sunday. And then he did the prime mistake of anybody who tells a children's story. He asked the children a question. Because, it, I mean, you don't even need to ask a question for kids to be throwing up their hands, right? And you're like, yes, Susie. And Susie says, today, this morning at my house? And you know, you know what those of us who are telling these stories are feeling? How long is this going and how bad am I going to look for cutting Susie off? My dad put my shoes on and then we, something like that. So this pastor asked the kids a very simple question. They're always the most profound questions to ask kids. Who, what kind of answer do you think you're going to get? But the pastor says to the children, what do you think Jesus' first words were when he raised from the dead? And these kids were sitting there. And one little girl put up her hand like this. And the pastor made the mistake. The question's the first mistake. Inviting response is the second. Yes, Madison, what do you think he said? And Madison said, he said, (laughs) ta-da!
I mean, that kind of thing would never happen, right? But what do you do with the angel sitting on top of the rock dangling his feet there? There is kind of a ta-da to it. And Matthew tells the story with a flourish. But keep in mind, I often keep this in mind, I keep this in my prayer every Easter, that the true miracle is not that God raised Jesus from the dead, not that God himself could come back to life. If you believe in a God of all creation and the whole universe, if you believe in that kind of God, the true miracle is not that God comes back to life. It's that he dies in the first place. There's the miracle. So let's go through the story with this blitz, this energy, kind of verse by verse. You notice in verse 4, the earthquake and the angel, the guards, it says, were filled with fear. But I want you to see there, just this, that on this morning, resurrection morning, there was a reversal between the dead and the living. The one who was supposed to be dead was alive, and the ones who were supposed to be living were mortified particularly those who weren't looking for this. They were as though dead. Verse 5, the address of the angel. It's wonderful. The angel whose appearance is like lightning and clothes that are white as snow. What kind of feeling do you get from that thing? You get a feeling of awe and how small you are and how unholy you are. That's what that means, right? Lightning and white as snow, just light where there is only darkness and lighting up everything. You can't even look. And that one, that angel says to those women who have gone to that tomb, don't be afraid. It would help me to not be afraid if you didn't do the earthquake and the lightning appearance. But don't be afraid. You've come to find Jesus thinking that he was dead, but you won't find him. He's risen. And he's not here right now. Verse 6 says, come and see the place where he was. There is this invitation to the women to see the empty tomb. Come and look and see that he's not here. This is an act of faith. Come and look and see that he's not here. He's been raised. And then verse 7, go and tell the disciples. Go and tell the disciples that he's been raised. Now here's where another interesting thing happens in the story. Because the women set off, they're sent, right? From this place of faith, believing that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, they are sent. It's the same thing for us today. Go and declare to other people. Jesus appears first to these women who believe, but then they are sent to the ones who once believed. We hear in other accounts that the disciples were locked up for fear. There is something of our faith in this, in how we relate to the world. It is not to convince others about the truth of our faith. It's that we would first be convinced and understand and then be sent to tell. The gift is that we see and the message proceeds from there. Verse 8, so they left. And verse 8 says in it, with fear and great joy. Now, people like me who read a lot, those of you who like to read, like you're in book club or you... You, you like sentences that contain words like this, with fear and great joy, because they don't seem to go together at first. And when they don't seem to go together, it sparks your interest, right? So they left with fear and great joy. 
This same man who described a friend of his telling this children's story related a story of himself being at a minister's conference. It was a Presbyterian pastor's conference. And he was talking about this combination of words from this verse. Fear and great joy. And he simply asked, how can fear and great joy go together? And one of the pastors raised his hand. I know they can, he said. I know that fear and great joy can go together. So the man leading the little talk said, well, describe how. And he said, it's easy. I just got married a few weeks ago. The most, the most significant, best times of your life all have this fear and great joy. These women were filled with fear and great joy and they went to tell the others. And then, verse 9. See how quickly we're going through this? Jesus, this is such a great part of this telling. I'm glad Matthew tells it this way. They're running to tell the disciples. Jesus isn't there, remember? He's gone on ahead. But he waits for them. It's like a little pathway back to, I don't know. And Jesus waits for the women. And he stops them. Verse 9 says, and look. That's a, that's a literary um, a tool in the text where Matthew, other scripture writers, will use the same thing. And look, what he means is for you, the reader, the listener. And look what happened. They were walking back to where the disciples were, and Jesus was waiting for them along the path, and he met them, and he said, he greeted them. Now this ought to be a high watermark. Jesus' first words. To these women after his resurrection, he greets them. You ready for what he says? It's not to die. In the Greek, the word is C-H-A-I-R-E-T-E. It's a friendly greeting. What does it mean? What's the best translation into English? Jesus met them along the way, these women, who were filled with fear and great joy. And he said, and this is the best translation, He said, hi. Isn't that fantastic? Did you miss the meaning of that? He didn't say, now, I'd like to give you the five reasons for the resurrection. He said, hi. It's like my, one of my favorite passages in scripture when he appears to the disciples beside the lake and they're fishing. This is sometime after this. And his words to them are, come and have breakfast. Similar energy. Hi. It's not formal. It's friendly. It's welcoming. It's relational. And then Jesus says in verse 10, the last verse of our reading, he says what the angel had said at the beginning of the encounter. He says to these women, because the word hi wasn't enough, because they were still afraid, he says to them, don't be afraid. Do you see the invitation in that? To become part of the company of Jesus Christ? Do you see the ease that he puts them at? This isn't some religious figure hollering at the world that something's terribly wrong. This is the one who's given his life over all that was ever wrong and has now defeated sin and death and says, Hi. 
There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. That from our scripture. And finally he says, and they're told by the angel, go and tell the others. Jesus meets them on the way to send them into mission. And that's the same for us too. He has defeated sin and death. He has given his life for the love of the world. It is still the best and most hopeful message. It breaks the brutal world. Because even though you're willing to tell yourself otherwise, we do live in a world that is often very brutal. Uh, Oftentimes more so for those with very little, those who are oppressed, those who have had a difficult time. But that brutality can extend everywhere. Now, for people of faith, this isn't to define our view of the world. We're to be positive, not negative. But the truth is that the world can be brutal. So in some ways, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to do this. Put an image up that you... I'm not going to explain it. And I found a grainy one, so it's not too disturbing. But the number one news story of this past week, like most spoken about, in North America at least, was... You ready for it? That... A man being dragged off forcibly of a United Airlines flight who had done nothing wrong but was selected, supposedly at random, to give up his seat. I am explaining it now because a flight attendant needed the seat. Turns out the man was a doctor who had surgery scheduled for the next day, but that didn't matter. And now apparently he needs some facial reconstruction and whatever else. You may have more details. Well, that's not the whole story, Todd. That's fine. Here's why I'm telling you. My interaction with stories like this is, like, not to laugh at the story. This man went through an actual thing that was fairly traumatic. You've seen pictures of him standing there with a bloody face and all the jokes, like, United slogan literally is. This is how ridiculous the world is. You think faith is ridiculous. This is how ridiculous the world is. United slogan is fly the friendly skies. What did they say on SNL last night? They said, yeah, but that's when they're in the sky. (laughs) When they're on the ground, it's don't look at me like that. (laughs) But I want to use the the image of brutality in the world. There are no doubt, and I use this on purpose, because there are far more brutal things than this. How we take advantage of the poor and the weak. Just the way the world can work. That same day... This is true also. That same day, United, before this happened and before this made big news, United announced luxury upgrades in their business class. Better linens, better food and wine selection. I pictured, because those of you who've been on planes, you know this, right? You have to walk through the business class and first class to get to your seat, and then they put the curtain there, right? And it really, what it's done is it's making you realize what, you know, you don't have this, right? You did, to some degree. I pictured the man, because we don't, I don't think there's any video of him being dragged through business class. <laughs> I've only seen the initial dragging. <laughs> but I'd love to see, do you have a video, just somebody's video of what was happening in the business class as he was being dragged through. Did they put curtains up or something? I don't know. But anyway, I don't use this to, to, I certainly don't use this to say that there's something wrong with people who have money. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm pointing out is the brutality of the world. Meanwhile, back there in economy or super economy, or you might get beaten up economy, 
This is how ridiculous the world is, the way of the world. This happened. Make your way. Assure your place. The world is made up of fences and borders. It's a world of exclusion. Do you know that? And don't, this, see, this is what you guys do. I do the same thing at times. It, this can happen in, in my heart. I think sometimes maybe it's worse for some of you. That when you hear the world is made up of exclusion, you think of those who have more than you, and you think, yeah, and you shake your fist. The truth is, for those of us living in this place, we're on the right side of the borders and the fences. We're on the wealthy side of the borders and the fences. But that's how this world is. And it's to the point of ridiculousness sometimes. And into this world, here's the Easter message, into this world of exclusion, then and now, Jesus bodies a resurrected world of welcome for all. For you. And nothing that you can ever do will earn that. He's earned it. He's done it. And when he defeated death, he didn't say, now you miserable, rotten person, you better respect this. He said, "You're come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, the barriers are down. Life reigns. Other people, we don't have to see them as threat. Can you imagine if we didn't see other people as threat? The world's ordered that way, but not the resurrected life. In Galatians 3.28, this is how far it goes. And the church has struggled with this at times, right? Because the church, in so, so often in history, Christian history, have been the ones putting up the borders and the fences. Listen to Galatians 3.28, resurrected life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, there is no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. What are those divisions spoken about there? They're the ones that divided people most in those days. And how deep can it go? There's not even male or female in Jesus Christ. There's these divisions that you order your world by. They're broken down. Put that up against a video of a man being dragged down the aisle of an airplane. In John, John's account of the resurrection, Jesus goes to where the disciples are. So the women go to the tomb, but most of the disciples, and in some cases all, some tellings, it says that they are in a room and they have the doors locked for fear of the world. Because they think, you know, they killed him. They're probably going to come and get us soon too. And Jesus appears. Jesus appears and stood by them and says to them and to the world and to you, to them whose hearts are filled with fear, to this world who lives on exclusion, Jesus appears and he says to them, peace be with you. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I owe everything to him. He is risen. You say he is risen. Not the more obvious he has risen. Why? He is risen. doesn't really make sense. Except that it's a declaration of something that is ongoing. He is risen. He has defeated death. He has defeated brutality. 
He has defeated fear, so don't go back to it. And he meets the women on the way and he says, Hi. Oh, my Lord. And so here, I think you can see it, it's relatively small. So what for us to do before we finish this service with singing? Firstly, lift up your heart to Christ. Lift up your heart to Christ. You might hear the minister say, would you give your life to Christ? Would you pray this four-step prayer with me? Let me put it this way. Lift up your heart to Christ. You, every person here, so am I talking to you? Yes, exactly, just to you. I am. You have lifted your heart up to many other things. And most of them haven't delivered as promised. I say to you, I invite you, lift up your heart to Christ. Secondly, for all of us, and I would say this to people who have come to Christian faith or not, but certainly for those of us who have, seek to reflect this way of self-giving love. In another resurrection scene when Jesus appears to his disciples, the scripture says that he, and in some, it, it's when he says, peace be with you, the scripture says he, he breathed on them. That's a metaphor in scripture of creation, right? God breathed creation into being. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. My spirit of gentleness and strength and tenderness and love. Receive my spirit that you may live this life in the world. So you have a job to do, and it's not just saying, indeed, hallelujah, and it's not only putting a daffodil on the cross, it's to go from this place and reflect the self-giving love in this world because this world is dying for it. Lift up your hearts. Reflect this way of self-giving love of Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And now we sing.